Welcome to the Dan Cave. Here's your host, Dan Vies. All right, you guys, welcome to the Dan Cave in this instant reaction episode. No fancy teaser at the top. We're just going to get right into this. Obviously, the news of the day just broke about an hour ago. The Seattle Seahawks and Kansas City Chiefs have made a blockbuster trade just 48 hours before the start of the 2019 NFL Draft. Here's what went down. Frank Clark, indeed, going to the Kansas City Chiefs. Seattle gets back in return. Kansas City's first-round draft pick this year, that's number 29 in the first round. The two teams swap third-round picks, so Seattle moves down eight spots in the third round. And the Seahawks also pick up one of Kansas City's two second-round picks next year. Now, it's the lesser of the two. Remember, the Chiefs traded D4 to the 49ers, got back a second-round pick next year. However those teams, however things fall out with the draft order in 2020, Seattle would get the lower of Kansas City's two second-round picks. So again, it's a first round this year. They swap spots in the third round, and they get a second-round pick in 2020. They also get a whole bunch of salary cap relief. As of today, the Seahawks now have just under $26 million in cap space to do whatever they want with. And we'll get to that in just a second. Let's go over a little draft history. As now the Seahawks, as we sit here today, own the number 21 and the number 29 pick in the draft this year. In their history, the Seahawks have only selected twice in the first round, four times. A little refresher for you. 1997, cornerback Sean Springs, offensive tackle Walter Jones, both top 10 picks. That turned out okay. Springs had an uneven career with the Seahawks. Went on to play quite a few years elsewhere. Walter Jones, Hall of Famer and one of the all-time greats. In the year 2000, the Seahawks took Sean Alexander, running back, and also offensive tackle Chris McIntosh. McIntosh was a bust. Alexander went on to win league MVP, one of the Seahawks' all-time greats. 2001, wide receiver Corn Robinson, offensive guard Steve Hutchinson. Robinson was a bust. Hutchinson moved on after his rookie contract because the Seahawks messed his whole situation up with that transition tag, went on to become a Hall of Famer, or or will be um, in the near future. 2010, Pete Carroll and John Schneider's first year in Seattle, they had two first-round picks. Russell Okung, still playing at a high level in the league. Earl Thomas just moved on to the Ravens, but obviously an all-time Seahawk great and a future Hall of Famer. So, uh, pretty good track record for the Seahawks, if you're into the whole history thing and And uh, some people, I think, place a little too much weight on that. But I thought it would be just interesting to look back and see how they've done in the past with two first-round picks. Now, obviously, there's a chance that at the end of the day, Thursday, they won't end up using both those first-round picks, and we'll explore that also. Now, again, if you listen to this show last week or you read Seahawk Maven, you know that I was in favor of this. And I'll, I'll just qualify it with this. I feel like I have to do this every time even though it's unnecessary, but uh, (laughs) it's just the way a lot of fans think. It is possible to love Frank Clark as a player and be in favor of this move. Loved Frank Clark as a player. But you know what I love more? I love winning. I love sustained success. I want my Seahawks to be a Super Bowl contender every single year. We thought that was on its way to happening in 2013, 14, 15, but they mismanaged some things. They misjudged some things. 
And they tried to sign everybody and keep everybody because the team, just like us fans, they loved their players and they kept them all. I've talked about this the last couple of weeks. They ended up paying seven starters on that defense. Actually, if you want to get technical, Averill and Bennett weren't really starters, part of a rotation. But they ended up paying seven players from that Super Bowl winning defense top of the market money in their position groups. You just can't do that and sustain it. You can do that if you want to take a shot for a year or two. The Rams are kind of doing that now, right? Taking advantage of the rookie contract, paying a bunch of guys, overpaying a bunch of guys because they're trying to take a shot now. They know they're going to face some of these tough decisions themselves in a year or two when they have to pay Jared Goff. So they're going to do it differently now. And I see other teams do this. And everyone talks about the Patriots, but you know who else does this? The Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens know that you can't keep everyone. Or, and I'll qualify that by saying, you can, and I've made the argument, I've been making it for the last month, that the Seahawks could have kept Frank Clark, Russell Wilson, Jaron Reed, and Bobby Wagner, but it just would have made it much more difficult. The margin for error in trying to populate the rest of your roster at a level that, that allows you to compete for Super Bowls is more difficult. And it doesn't allow you to take as many risks either. You have to go more for safe players, higher floors, lower ceilings. You can't take a shot in the draft at guys like Ja'Kai Polite or Jeffrey Simmons because each roster spot is that much more valuable and the margin for error is so much slimmer. So again, love Frank Clark, love him as a player, love having him on my team. But I love what this affords Seattle now and the opportunity it affords them to manage this roster and extend their window. And here's, there's, there's so many layers to this, but here's what the Seahawks get out of this situation. The, the possibilities that it opens up. First option, they're at 21 and 29. They could just stay, stay there and, and take two good players. And that's entirely possible. But they could also trade down from one of those picks or both of those picks to add even extra picks. Because even with those, those two picks in the first round, with that extra first round pick, that only brings them up to five picks total. John Schneider wants more than that. They're not just going to pick five players. I can guarantee you that. So look for them to trade down from one or both of those picks and still be able to tap in multiple times to a historically deep defensive line class. Whatever you want, you can get out of this class. You want a penetrating, pass-rushing, three-technique, defensive tackle? Bunch of them in this in this draft class. And in every range, first round, second round, third round, fourth round. Guys that fit the Seahawks' mold. You want a strong two-way player that can play defensive tackle and defensive end? Got him in this draft all over the draft board. You want more of a Leo in the Seahawks' style? More of a fast, twitchy edge rusher? who specializes in rushing the passer, you can get that guy. You can get him anywhere in this draft through about the first five rounds. So whatever you want. You want a five technique that can help stuff the run, hold the edge, still get after the passer once in a while, you can get that guy too. Okay? Second point. Seahawks are about scheme fit. Not necessarily looking for what other teams are looking for. The best fits could come in the later rounds. They could surprise with their first round selections. Don't be surprised if they go offense. One of the things Pete Carroll talked about when he was first hired, this gets lost in the mix of how he talked in that very first press conference in 2010, how he talked about being able to run the football, being physical, 
ball control, taking care of the ball. He also talked about he loves guys that can score touchdowns. Touchdown makers, he called them. Don't be surprised if they take another weapon for Russell Wilson early and dip into the defensive line class later and take guys that specifically fit their scheme and their type of player. Third point, they now have a bounty of 2020 draft picks. I haven't looked at the overall draft board to see if anyone else is close to this, but I doubt it. Taking into account the compensatory picks that they're going to get based on who they signed and who they lost as free agents this offseason, this is where the Seahawks stand right now in 2020. A first-rounder, two seconds, two-thirds, two-fourths, a fifth, two-sixths, and two-sevenths. Twelve total picks. That gives them ammunition, not just for next year, but for this year. They could trade up in this draft if there's an impact player that they have their eye on. I'm not going to give it away. I want you to read Seahawk Maven. I want you to go there tonight. I just talked to Corbin Smith before I hit record, and he's got his mock draft done. I have mine. Mine's a little more conservative, includes some trade downs. He gets aggressive, dips into that future draft pool, moves up to get an impact pass rusher. I'm not going to tell you who that is. So read Seahawk Maven. Lots of interesting stuff. Uh, is going to be hitting there in the next couple of hours. Next point. Opens up $26 million in cap space for the Seahawks immediately. They can use those for a couple of things. They can sign other free agents, and they will. Don't just look at the draft and, and lament the fact that these guys take time to develop and they don't. they might not contribute as much as you'd like as rookies. They're going to they're gonna use some of that salary cap space to go out and sign guys right now. They've met with Corey Legit. They've been connected to Danny Shelton, a couple of defensive tackles that could help. They've met with Nick Perry. He's been silent ever since then. Ziggy Ansah could be in play. If his medical checks out, if his shoulder's good, he's still out there. Shane Ray is still available. There are guys that can help the pass rush that are available, and they fit into that category of guys looking for a one-year, prove-it type deal, try to reestablish some value, maybe become free agents again next year, or sign a long-term extension with Seattle. Remember, 2013, they did that within days. They signed Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett. Averill signed a two-year deal, Bennett a one-year deal for very little money, very affordable contracts. That Super Bowl-winning defensive line didn't have a dominant pass rusher. It had a rookie and Bruce Irvin lead the team in sacks with seven. And then he had a bunch of guys like Averill and Bennett. There were three guys with more than five and one with seven. That team had 37 sacks on the season. That's all. They used a defensive line rotation, and they came from all different areas. Pete Carroll's def- defenses, not at USC and not in Seattle, have never been built on one dominant pass-rushing defensive end, which is why I believe they didn't feel comfortable spending $21 million on a defensive end. That position just doesn't warrant it. And yes, Frank Clark has already agreed to a new contract with the Chiefs, Five years, $105 million, I think $63.5 million guaranteed. So clearly that's what he wanted. It's very similar to what Demarcus Lawrence signed for in Dallas. Clearly that's what he wanted, and the Seahawks weren't willing to give him that. That's why they had to trade him. Next point. They were able to do all of this. Or I'm sorry, I missed one. And this is key. With that cap space, they still have Bobby Wagner and Jaron Reed entering into the last year of their contracts. 
I think those are two cornerstone pieces that they would like to pay to extend. And each of those guys costs less than Frank Clark would. Even if you pay them top, 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 top of the market, Bobby Wagner would be about $15 million. Jaron Reed would be 15 to 17 himself. You can extend those guys now this offseason and structure their contracts in a way so that you can take a bigger cap hit in year one, which just helps out your cap flex- flexibility in the next few years. And the final point is you were able to do all of those things I just mentioned. Create all those opportunities and possibilities. Give yourself flexibility while keeping your franchise quarterback. This is what was so important about that deadline on the 15th and getting that deal done. They know exactly where they stand. And now you have the unicorn. You have the hardest thing to find in all of pro football franchise quarterback and you have him locked up long term you know exactly where you stand with that guy now you can can continue to build around him and it, it shocks me that there's so much negative backlash and 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 worry and concern and consternation among fans as if Pete Carroll doesn't have a massive resume and a long history of building developing and coaching defense successfully The Seahawks place great value in player development. And and I, you hear me say this a lot. They like some of their players better than you do. Rasheem Green didn't do much as a rookie, but he was just a third-round pick a year ago and looked phenomenal in the preseason. Then he hit the rookie wall. He had some issues in transition. They still believe in him. Jacob Martin showed at the end of the year, six-round draft pick, what a great value he could be rushing the passer. They expect those guys to take a step forward, along with guys like Puna Ford, Quentin Jefferson. We've talked about this, right? What happened today? We talk about that window. The Seahawks, in the last couple of weeks, have extended their championship window for years. You're looking at a scenario now where they're going to put a team on the field this year that's at least as good as last year's team, if not better. I believe it's going to be better. Obviously, a lot has to go right the next couple of days. And then, going into 2020, the other teams in the NFC have to be looking at what the Seahawks are doing and taking it seriously. Franchise quarterback, they fix the offensive line, And there's some stability and continuity finally in that offensive line. They performed at a high level at the end of last year, throughout the year really. And there's there's young guys at every position. They need to address wide receiver, but those are easy to fix. Not nothing's easy to fix, but they only need to hit on one or two things. Tight end wide receiver. The offense in great shape. Young stable of cheap running backs. They're going to continue adding to that group so they never have to pay big money for a running back again. And then on defense, you've got a ton of young guys in the secondary. No one's going to have to be paid there for a while. Best middle linebacker in the game. One of the best young defensive tackles in the game and a great cast of characters around him. Now you have 12 draft picks next year. All the flexibility in the world. Cap flexibility. I could go on and on. The Seahawks have extended their championship window. And just a couple of weeks ago, 
Did any of us have confidence that this was all going to come to come together like this? You're going to feel even better about the future, I assure you, once Bobby Wagner and Jaron Reed are resigned. So draft day just got a lot more interesting for the Seahawks. Much more to come. This is a quick one. I just wanted to get some reaction out there. Um, I'm going to do another episode tomorrow. And then uh, Thursday, draft day, Thursday morning, I am going to do my last mock draft. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to do it live while I'm recording. So I'll get the simulator set up with a couple of trades. And then I'll hit start, hit record, and we'll walk through the mock draft process as I'm recording. Kind of, we'll kind of go through it together. Some of the, some of the ups and downs and tough decisions and things. Because as as much as I do this, and I've probably done sixty to seventy-five mock drafts this year. Um, I was just telling Corbin this. You run into a little bit of paralysis analysis, where you keep picking the same guys over and over again that you like, that you've fallen in love with, and and you have to kind of fight the urge to just mix it up and try something new. So tomorrow we're going to do that, and and the whole idea is to give you an idea of what players, what types of players are going to be available at different areas of the draft, and hopefully, hopefully alleviate some of those concerns you have about not having Frank Clark around. So big day for the Seahawks. More to come. Thanks for listening. Please follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. I'll be tweeting like crazy the next couple of days. And until tomorrow, thanks again for listening to the Dan Cave.